Good to see everybody here this night. If you would, take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24 will be our first passage this evening. I want to begin by thanking you for the opportunity to come and to study with you through this week. Uh, I have really, really enjoyed it. Uh, We want to thank you for all the meals. Thank you for all the social times that we had together. Uh, Karen already knew quite a few of you. I didn't, and I've I've really enjoyed it. She wanted me to especially thank the ladies for being so nice to her. I don't. uh, That's a wonderful thing. It made her feel good and comfortable, and that's a good thing. And I thank you too for all the good words and kind words that I have received from you about the lessons. I hope that they've been beneficial to you. I hope that you've got something out of them. I hope it got you a few more steps down the road to heaven. And I hope that that you will continue in that direction. And someday, some down, sometime down the road, we'll see each other there. Uh, just to give you some news, the hurricane was really, really bad. Uh, I don't know of anybody who was hurt. I don't know of any Christians who were hurt, but... I'm pretty sure there's going to be some Christians who sustain some damage to their property, their homes. Uh, The hospital where I work is pretty much wasted from what I've been told in the videos that I've seen. Uh, I don't know if they'll have to shut it down for a while to rebuild or if they'll be able to keep part of it open. I don't know what they're going to do, but it's really, really bad in that area. Uh, We don't know about our home, what the situation is going to be there when we get back, but we'll be leaving either late tonight or early in the morning to head that direction, and we'll see what happens, what what has happened when we get there. But I appreciate your comments, I appreciate your concern, and we really appreciate your prayers. And anything material, we can either rebuild it or maybe we didn't really need it after all. But one way or another, that's okay. Uh, People aren't hurt, people have not been killed, and that's the best thing of all of that. So we have one more lesson tonight, and we're going to begin in Acts chapter 24. And without you turning there, I want to remind you that we started this whole meeting with John chapter 8 and verse 32, which says, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And I made the point that the truth is what sets us free. The truth is what's going to get us to heaven. And error doesn't do that. If somebody gets up and teaches you something that's not right, it's not true. God doesn't say that. It might make you feel good. It might make you feel comfortable, but not in the end. It's not going to make you feel good in the end because error, no matter how good it makes you feel right now, is not going to get you to heaven. The only reason we would be up in a pulpit or teaching Bible classes or teaching you anywhere as far as the Bible is concerned is to tell you the truth, is to let you know here's what God says. And I want you to know that that is the approach that we've been taking in this meeting. I understand some of the teachings been straightforward and and it's going to be straightforward tonight. It's going to be about people obeying the gospel and and becoming a Christian and getting their life right. So they will have a hope of having a home in heaven whenever they, they leave this world. It doesn't do you any good if I don't tell you the truth about that. 
In fact, you don't want me telling you something that's not right. And you counted on me because I said that's the way it was. And then you get to the end and you find out that I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't tell you the truth. And you're really not ready to stand before God. You don't want that situation and I don't want that situation. So let me say to you, the best way to teach God's word is to just tell people this is what God says, whatever the subject is. We're going to talk about the plan of salvation and I'm going to talk to you straightforwardly about that tonight. It's not to offend you. It is to inform you. And I hope you will take it that way. And I hope that you are sincere enough in your heart that when I show you here's what it says, that it will mean something to you. Let me kindly say this. If you do get offended, it wouldn't be the first time. And what I would ask you with that is get mad, be mad at me. But go home and look and and find where you can prove it wrong. And I promise you, if you can show me where I'm wrong, I will listen to you. What I hope is that it would go the other way also. That if you begin looking in your Bible and you begin searching and you find out, well, that really is what it says. I would hope you would listen to it and I would hope you would obey it. That's the whole point. You should really want truth when we talk about what God says and what the Bible says. So let's begin in Acts chapter 24. You have an occasion in Acts chapter 24 where the governor Felix and his wife have come to town. And Felix wants to hear from the Apostle Paul. He hears that the Apostle Paul is in the area and he's being held. And and he calls for Paul, it says. He sends for Paul in verse 24 in order to hear him concerning the faith in Christ. Okay, now what that means is that Felix gets Paul. They bring Paul to him and says, he says, tell me about this Christianity business. Tell me about this following Jesus stuff. I want to know about that from from you. You seem to know all about that. You tell me about it. I'm going to tell you, that's a unique opportunity. I can remember one time in all the years I've been preaching where I really had a situation just like that, where the man says, tell me about it, and I'm going to do it. That's exactly what happened. Now, that wasn't exactly the end that there was here. But if somebody was to ask you, tell me about being a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? What is Christianity all about? What would you talk to them about? Well, there's there's a whole bunch of ways you could approach that, isn't there? And I just want you to notice the way Paul answered him. Because it says in the next verse, as he reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. That Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So here you see that Paul has an open slate, a blank check to talk to somebody about Christianity. And he talks to him about three things. He talks to him about righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. And I'm just going to sum those things up for you. He talked to him about righteousness. It's the idea of getting right with God. 
It would have included what we're about to talk about, which is what makes you wrong with God. It would have been including some talk about sin and the effect of sin and the wages of sin. And it would have included him saying, this is what Jesus said about forgiveness. This is how you can be forgiven, how you can get right with God. Righteousness is getting right with God. Okay. Well, what about after that? The word temperance means self-control. If you have a newer version, it'll say that. And so after you become a Christian, you're supposed to live in a certain way, right? So you control yourself to live in a certain way to where you stay right with God. So the first two things, basically what it is, you need to get right with God and you need to stay right with God. Okay, well, that demands from Felix that Felix changes life. And, and the natural question, if you talk to somebody like that, well, you need to change your life. You need to get right with God and you need to, you need to change your life from now on. The question that would naturally come is, well, why should I do that? Why? I like the way I live my life. I'm getting to do what I want to do. Why would I change my life? And the answer is because there's a day of judgment coming. Because there is a day coming where we will stand before God and we will give an account of our lives. And God is going to judge us as to whether we got right with him and we stayed right with him. There's a day of accounting coming. So when we, when we hear something like that, and, and, and kind of a summation of what the whole thing is all about, one question that would, be in, would come up in all that is, well, well, what messes that up? What makes me wrong with God? If I need to get right with God, what makes me wrong with God? And the answer to that is sin. There's a Bible word. God made the word up and the word is sin. Okay, so what is sin? First John chapter three and verse four says that sin is transgression of the law. Okay, to transgress means to go against. So sin is when I go against the law of God. When I go against the word of God. Now, nowadays, for something to be a sin, you know, you, you, you kind of have to murder somebody almost for it to be a sin. That's not right. Now, that, that is right that that is a sin. But a sin is any way that you transgress God's law. And it may be something that we all agree is so horrible and so terrible. That has to be a sin. But it also includes things that I don't think are that big a deal. It includes things that you might not think are that big a deal. But what makes them big is that they are against what God has said. That makes it a big deal. It's a big deal to God. He calls it sin. And sin has really, really bad consequences. Look back in Isaiah chapter 59. In Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2. It's a good passage to tell you what sin does. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Okay, he says it's not that God's not able to save you. It's not that God's not able to hear you. 
It's that your sins have separated you from God. They have raised a barrier that you erected, not God. You have separated yourself from God by your own sins to where he will not hear you and he hides his face from you. In the New Testament, there's a passage in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, which says the wages of sin is death. Okay. We talked about this earlier in the week, that spiritual death is being separated from God. In the spiritual world, that's all that matters. Are you with God or not with God? When you are separated with God, you are spiritually dead. When you're with God in fellowship with God, you're spiritually alive. The wages of sin is death. Sin separates you from God. And it will cause you to be lost in all eternity if you don't get it straightened out. In fact, look over in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, you know, we, we read the book of Job and we find out there were some things that were going on behind the scenes that we didn't really know about till you read the book of Job. And this is kind of that situation. There are some things going, by, going on behind our, our backs or without our being able to see it in the spiritual world. And, and this is one you really need to be concerned about, Okay. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Okay. What I want you to notice is that you have somebody accusing you before God day and night. There is an accuser of the brethren. An accuser that you have and that I have. And he accuses us before God day and night. And what he accuses us of is sin. You see, sometimes we might think, well, God, God's not noticing what we're doing this wrong. Oh, yes, because the devil's making sure he notices. He is accusing us day and night. And the problem that we have is, is he's telling the truth, isn't he? When he accuses us before the father of sin, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's not making it up. He's not lying. I have done those kinds of things, and you have too. And the only thing that would make him not right in accusing us now would be if our sins have been forgiven. Okay, now what if your sins have not been forgiven? Look over in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus is... Beginning to prepare his disciples for the time that he's going to be gone. I just want to pick a verse out of there. And I want you to see what he says. In John chapter 8 and verse 21, he says, I go my way and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. 
Okay, now he's talking to people that were not believers. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't listen to him. They're not going to do what he says to do to be forgiven of their sins. They are total non-believers. And he says, I'm going my way. You're going to be looking for me. But in the meantime, you're going to die in your sins. Now, what is the result of dying in your sins? Whither I go, you cannot come. Now, this is straightforward, and it is word for word. When we die in our sins, we can't go where Jesus went. And I would just remind you that he was raised from the dead. He ascended to the Father, and he's sitting at the right hand of God right now. He's in heaven. If I die in my sins, I can't go where Jesus is. If you die in your sins, you can't go where Jesus is. And so you need to deal with your sin. You have to deal with your sin the way God says to deal with your sins. And the Bible is very clear about how to do that. Jesus the Savior, who is going to tell you how to be saved, said in Mark 16, 16, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. So what he's telling you, I mean, he's the savior. He's the one doing the saving. And so he says, if you will believe and you will be baptized, I will save you. It's a promise from Jesus. In Acts chapter two, you had the day of Pentecost. Jesus has gone away, but as he promised, he has sent the Holy Spirit to them. The apostles began to preach. They convict those people of being literally the murderers of Jesus. And when those people realized that what he's been saying about them is right, they were pricked in their heart. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? How do we get this straightened out, Peter? And by inspiration, the message that Jesus gave through the Holy Spirit to Peter to tell those people was, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Literally, specifically, you be baptized so you can have your sins remitted or forgiven. Now, I'm just going to say to you, that's, that's not hard to understand, is it? It's very clear. It's very plain. There's no doubt about what the command is. There's no doubt about what the Lord and the apostles said we need to do to be forgiven of our sins so that we don't die in our sins and miss out on heaven. But boy, there are a lot of people that just don't like that. There are a lot of people that will ridicule the idea that, well, well, you mean... Somehow or another, I get to go to heaven because I got wet. I got in the water and all of a sudden I get to go to heaven because I got wet. I got, in the, I got in the water and they just laugh and think that's so funny. And there are other people that are a lot more sincere. And, and their question is, why? Why did God pick baptized, be baptized? What, what does that have to do with anything? And they think and they try to figure it out and they want an explanation that just gives every step of why God chose that. And and I don't have an answer for all that. And some people sincerely get so locked up in the why 
that they end up not doing it. They're just so wrapped up in trying to figure out why God said for us to be baptized. And somehow or another, that that would lead to us being forgiven of our sins. It's not what they thought. It's not what they imagined it should be. If they were God, they wouldn't have said that. They wouldn't have chosen that. And so they just, they're just not going to do it. Okay? I want to seek some understanding about wrong attitude toward that and a right attitude. We're going to go back to an Old Testament story. If you would, go with me back to 2 Kings chapter 5. And let's see if we can get some similar points out of this in 2 Kings chapter 5. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 5 is a story about a man named Naaman. Okay, if you read in verse 1, it says, Naaman was a captain of the host of the king of Syria. And he was a great man with his master. The king thought a lot of him. He says he was honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. He was head general. He was a big deal. He was a right-hand man of the king of Syria. The king of Syria would have granted him anything that he wanted. The problem that Naaman had was that Naaman was a leper. He had leprosy. That was a bad, a bad thing now. That was a really bad thing back then. And even with all the honors and glory and all this that Naaman had... The main thing he wanted was to be healed of his leprosy. It says in verse 2 that the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. So there's a little slave, a little Israelite slave girl to his wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that's in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. So the the little slave girl says that. There's a prophet in Samaria that could heal our master. And the word works its way up to the master, to Naaman. And he talks to the king of Syria about that. And in verse 5 it says, The king of Syria said to Naaman, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and he took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. Now, he brings the letter to the king of Israel and the king of Israel just freaks out. The, 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 the king of Syria sends you to me to heal you of your leprosy. I'm the king of Israel. I, I can't heal you of your leprosy. And see, he kind of freaks out in the matter. But the prophet Elisha, who is in Samaria and in Israel, hears of it. And it says in verse 8 that it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So the king of Israel sends Naaman to see Elisha. Verse 9, so Naaman came with his horses and stood with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, go and wash in Jordan seven times 
And thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. He said, just go dip seven times in the Jordan River and and you'll be healed of your leprosy. And it says in verse 11 that Naaman was wroth. That means he was really, really mad. It really made Naaman mad. And he went away and he said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. See, if you'll notice, Elisha never even came out of the house. Elisha never even went outside to meet Naaman. He just sent a message. He sent a servant out to tell him, you just, just go tell him to go get in the Jordan River and dip seven times. He'll be all right. He said, I thought he will come out to me and he'll stand and he'll call on the name of the Lord his God and he'll strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm Naaman. I mean, doesn't he know who I am? I am Naaman. There needs to be a little bigger show than to go tell me to go jump in the river. I thought he would come out and put on a big show because I am Naaman. I am the leper that he's going to heal. And then he says in verse 12, Are not Havana and far part rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. So Naaman gets mad and he talks about what he thought it would be like. It wasn't what he thought it would be like. And that was his first problem. He thought he was going to decide what it was going to be like for him to get healed. And he, he, he begins to say, why does it have to be the Jordan River? I could have just done that at home without doing all this. And he got so mad And so, so upset about it that he didn't do it. He went away. And I just want to make sure that you understand when he got mad and didn't do it and went away, he went away a leper just like he came. Okay. So in verse 13, his servants at this point, have a little more sense than he does about the matter. And they try to reason with him. And they came near, and they spoke unto him, and they said, My father, Master, if the prophet had bid thee to go do some great thing for your salvation, for for your healing, wouldn't you have done that? Wouldn't you have done? If he had told you, okay, Naaman, you're going to have to go over and kill a thousand Philistines and bring me the proof. And if you do that, I'll heal you of your left I guarantee you, Naaman would have been over killing Philistines, wouldn't he? And when Naaman came back, he would have felt like, hey, I just killed a thousand Philistines. You, you need to be healing me now. If he had asked you to do something like that, you wouldn't have done it. How much rather than when he just said to you, go get in the Jordan River and dip seven times. Why don't you just go wash and be clean? (laughs) It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It's real logical. And I guess Naaman had settled down because he listened to him and says, Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Okay, so you remember when Naaman said, Behold, I thought. 
And then he said, why can't I go to my rivers and do this? Why? Why does it have to be the Jordan River? And the question that he had to have presented to him, does it really matter? I mean, if you're going to be healed of your leprosy, does it really matter which river he told you to go get in? And, and remember, Naaman was a big man. And he expected to have a big show put on. Part of the reason he got mad was there wasn't a big show. You see, the healing was not about Naaman. That wasn't the message that Naaman is a great man, so we're going to heal Naaman. The message was there is a prophet of God in Israel. The message was about God and glorifying the God of Israel, not Naaman. And the biggest thing that Naaman need, needed was a huge dose of humility. There's not going to be a show. There's not going to be some special occasion for your healing. But if you want it, the God of heaven says, if you'll go get in that water, you can have it. And that's the way it's going to be. If you don't do it, you're going to be a leper. But if you will do it, you will be cleansed of your leprosy. Now, whenever you read that, I want you, I want to make a point. I want you to hang on to it for just a little bit for me. Because we're going to come back to it. If Naaman had killed a thousand Philistines, do you think that Naaman would have thought that he, he was owed his cleansing? That he was owed his healing? If he had done some great deed, don't you think Naaman would have come back and said, Hey, Lassie, get out here and give me my, give me my healing. Well, of course. But what God wanted to see out of Naaman was humility. What God wanted to see out of Naaman is there's going to be a healing from leprosy. But, but not because Naaman is a great man, but because there's a prophet of God in Israel. And that's where the credit and the glory is going to go. And when Naaman went and got in the Jordan River and dipped seven times and he was healed of his leprosy, I will promise you. That what was going through Naaman's mind was, there's a prophet in Israel. Not, well, I, I deserve this. Totally humble, totally dependent on the God of Israel for his, his healing. Okay? So, whenever we talk about the plan of salvation... And the doubts that sometimes people have. Why, why baptism? It's such a, a simple thing. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, that's why. That's one of the reasons why. It, Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He says, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. First Peter 3.21 says, the like figure wherein to even baptism now saves us. It's just a simple little thing. Anybody can do it. There's no, no great strength or wisdom or knowledge or anything that takes. Anybody can be baptized. And sometimes people just get lost in the why. I just don't know why God chose that. And my question to you, does it really matter? 
I mean, does it really matter why God chose the Jordan River instead of the ones in Damascus? Did it really matter? It didn't matter. It's just that's what he chose. Does it really matter why God chose this baptism ritual that we have to undergo? It doesn't matter. What does matter is that we need a big dose of humility. When we start talking about being forgiven of our sins. I am the one that sinned against God. God gets to decide how that's going to be made right. You are the one who has sinned against God. God's the one who gets to decide how that's going to get made right. And God chose baptism. And the the short answer to the question why is because God said so. And he gets to say so. In Jude verse 3. There he says, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. The word common there means shared. It means when it comes to our salvation, we've all got the same same deal. The same plan of salvation that I have to undergo, you have to undergo, and you have to undergo. There's no special salvation for anybody. It is a common or shared salvation. And sometimes you'll hear people, they want to tell their salvation stories and all the things that they saw and all, all the great occasion that took place. And no, it's not special as far as unique. There's nothing different for anybody to be saved than anybody else. There's one plan of salvation and anybody who's going to be saved has the same plan of salvation taught and given to us by the Lord. And in humility, what we need to do is just accept the simple act of obedience. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that just like going to the Jordan River demanded humility instead of some big show, I would say to you that being baptized to be forgiven demands humility rather than a big show. And I want to look at a couple of passages with you as far as what is happening if you're baptized. What should be happening. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. It says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Okay, so baptism saves us, but what's going on? Look at the statement in the parentheses. If you have King James, it will say, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's not because you're getting wet. It's not because you're washing dirt off your body and you're outwardly clean, so God's going to forgive you of your sins. That's not the idea. It's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. If you have a newer version, it will say this, the appeal to God for a good conscience or a clear conscience. In other words, by your action, you are talking to God. You're you're doing is a message to God. You are asking God to keep his promise. What is it that makes you have a bad conscience? It's sin, right? 
So in a bad being baptized, you are remembering that Jesus said, he that believes that is baptized shall be saved. By your action, you are appealing to God. You are asking God, God, I'm begging you, do what you promised me you would do. Please do what you said you would do. You said, if I will be baptized, I will be saved. And I'm appealing to you to save me so I can have a good conscience from now on. You'll have your sins forgiven. Okay, look in Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, there in verse 12. Colossians 2.12. He says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Okay, so what does this tell you is going on? Just different words, same thing. But what it says to you that you are buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him... And why would I do that? Because he promised if I would repent and be baptized, I'd have forgiveness of my sins. That if I would believe and be baptized, he would save me. So is my trust in the water? Is my trust in the preacher? Is my trust in whoever or whatever? No, my trust is in God. Listen to it. He says that you are risen with him through the faith of of the operation of God. Okay, you, the word faith there is the idea of believing that something will happen. You are trusting that God's going to do what he said he would do. Well, what did he say? That he would forgive our sins. So what you're doing is you have faith in the operation of God. It's not the water that's doing a miracle, some magic, spiritual magic. It is God says, if you will do this, I will operate on your soul. I will operate on your sins. I will get rid of them. And so when I'm baptized, I do that because I believe that God will operate on my sins when he promised that he would do that. That I will receive forgiveness of my sins. It is a work. It is something that I submit to somebody baptizing me. And even though it is a work, it is a work that is a work of complete dependence upon the grace and mercy and love of God. Because he promised. And so what I'm going to say to you tonight is this. If you die in your sins, you can't go to heaven. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just quoting what Jesus said. Are you in sin tonight? Have you ever been baptized for their mission? Have you ever done what Jesus said to do to be saved, to become a Christian, so that God would keep his promise and save you? If you haven't, I'm going to go back to Acts twenty two sixteen, And that is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I told you some stories last night. 
about young people who got killed. They died at a time they sure weren't planning on passing away. And I could regale you with a few more tonight if I wanted to. But let me just encourage you this. There's a lot of things in this world to occupy your thinking and your time and your mind and your life. But I don't care how old you are or how young you are. There are a lot of people that died at your age. And I don't want to be depressing to you and discouraging. I want to be encouraging by using this this way, but it could be you. We've studied a lot about being saved and becoming a Christian this week. And I'm telling you, you, you've had some invitations given to you. We've asked you, please make a decision to become a Christian. We care about your soul. We want you to go to heaven with us. It's not that we're being mean. It's not that we're being rude. It's that we are begging you to go to heaven. You might not live till tomorrow. And I promise you, if I went around with every one of you and you told me how old you are, Most of you, I could tell you about somebody who died at your age. And it might be you. James says, the person who says, well, tomorrow, I know I've got tomorrow. He says, you you need to get out of here with that stuff because you don't know if you have tomorrow. You might go home and you might go to sleep. And you might not wake up in this world. Would it be okay if you didn't? If you hadn't obeyed the gospel, it won't be. You need to obey the gospel. You need to become a Christian. You need to be saved so you don't have to worry about that. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God and you are willing to change your life, repent, and live the way He tells you to live, to let Him be the Lord of your life then you need to obey the gospel. And my question to you would be the same one Ananias to ask Saul. Now arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. What are you waiting for? Why tarriest thou? And my urging to you is don't wait any longer. Let us baptize you. Be saved. And then know that you're okay. No matter what happens to you in this life. If we can help you do that, come and let us know. While together we stand and while we sing.